Good morning, Highland. My name is Greg, and I'm the Congregational Care Pastor here at Highland. And I'm so thrilled to have the privilege of helping us to continue our message series in our all-church study called It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. Studies based, if you're familiar by now, on, on a fantastic book written by Lisa Turkhurst, who is a New York Times best-selling author, and she's also the president of Proverbs 31 Ministries. Pastor Darren has been walking us through the first few weeks of uh, of this great study, and he's helped us to see over these weeks that we live in a place that's between two perfects, a place that's between two gardens, between two trees, if you would. The tree of life, as is given in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life, as is referred to in the, uh, in the book of Revelation, perfection on each end. But we don't live in perfection. We live in that in-between space, that uh, that space and time where life's rubber really meets the road. And it's the place between where things ought to be and the way things really are. And some have called that the disappointment gap. How do we navigate life on a daily basis in times especially when the bottom seems to be dropping out of our life? And Darren's helped us, helped us see, rather, that we can meet God in our times of disappointment, we can pour out our hearts to him, and we can especially meet him in those times where circumstances are put upon us, placed upon us, or placed within us. The gap. But today, as we think about those two extremes and, and what takes place in the middle with you and with me, we're going to talk just a bit more about the gap and about restoration. Restoration. Now, you may not know me very well, but if you did, you'd know I was a political science nut. If you went to my house, you'd see in my study downstairs that a whole wall is lined with dozens and dozens of autobiographies and biographies about presidents and their families and world leaders and United States leaders. And maybe I've taken this just a little bit too seriously, I don't know, but, well, let me just show you. This is what I took on our honeymoon. The memoirs of Richard Nixon. Now there is some great stuff. <laughs> Shirley doesn't call me Mr. Romance for nothing. Well, she doesn't call me Mr. Romance, but that's another story for, for another time. <laughs> but knowing that about me, you might not be surprised that I would show you this morning the picture of probably the most famous house in America, if not in the world, the White House. Oh, that place is much in the news these days. As you, as you know, its current occupants trying to, uh, trying to get his four-year lease renewed, and uh, uh, there are a whole lot of other people that are looking for an eviction notice big time, but that's another story for another time. But the White House, a great, beautiful structure built in 1800. Every president since John Adams has, has lived there, and it's a spectacular place, both on the inside and on the outside. But an amazing thing, a bit, of, a bit of trivia about this house, back in 1948, when Harry Truman was president, his daughter Margaret, true story, his daughter Margaret was playing her piano on the second floor residence, and all of a sudden there was a crack, and the, the, the leg of her baby grand piano crashed down through the floor in the ceiling of one of the staterooms below. Those were some wild chopsticks, I would guess. But an engineer was brought in to see, what, what in the world happened here? This is terrible. And as they got to looking at the, at the situation, it was a whole lot more than just a floorboard situation. It was the entire structure was beginning to crumble. The foundations, as you see there, are, were, were coming apart. Literally, the building was hanging on by a thread. should have fallen. 
So some serious restoration needed to take place. The building was evacuated. The president moved to the Blair House across the street for actually for up to about four years. And a reconstruction began from the inside out, if you would. The building was gutted and it was rebuilt from the bottom up using steel structures that, uh, that would uh, make it a safe and a strong place for years and years to come. But the restoration, you see, was more than just a fresh coat of paint on the outside. The restoration was a rebuild from the core up. You know, that kind of uh, describes our lives from time to time. People look at us and on the outside and they say, they've really got it together. Things are really good with them. And, and, and a lot of times we go to great lengths to ensure that, uh, uh, that that's what people think, that image. Yet, frequently, all too often it seems, that because of the in-between, because of the disappointment gap space, we're crumbling on the inside. And we need some restoration. But God says to you, to you and to me, I want to restore you. But I'm going to do so in a way that's not just repainting the exterior, but for the core. Lisa Turkhurst's story. The book that she has written was based on her own story, I should say, of shattered brokenness. You should read the book to get a full glimpse of her story. But she wrote out of her own pain and tells about how she, like we from time to time, just in that disappointment gap, would, would cry out and say, God, how could this happen to me? I'm trying to serve you to the best of my ability. You've put me in, in a place where I'm using my gifts, and, and I've done everything, at least I feel, that you've asked me to do. How could this happen to me? I'm instructing families, and yet my own falls apart. Why is the pain so great? When is this going to end? Where's the storybook happily ever after ending in this? And why, God, have you ground me to a halt? We've asked questions like that. What do we do in the gap? Especially when we're saying to God, it's not supposed to be this way. Let me tell you a story about a pastor that I know. As a young man, he'd always dreamed of being the pastor of a large congregation. He'd pastored smaller congregations in his early years and, and felt God had gifted him and prepared him to uh, to move up to another level, if you would. And uh, eventually, God answered that prayer and moved him and his, and his family to uh, a larger church of about 1,000 people in another state. And the church had had some, it was a well-known church. It was well-founded uh, well uh, and it was, it was much appreciated throughout, the, throughout the, uh, the, the nation. And it had some dysfunction, like many churches do, but, and it was a challenge leading him through, <coughs> excuse me, leading him through these, uh, these days. But he was thrilled to be there. And he was up to the charge, challenge. Things went well for his first year, his second year, his third year. But in his fourth year, out of the blue, it came out that one of the staff member's spouses had had a sinful relationship with a student. One of the worst things you could think of. Immediate actions were taken. Tough calls were made. And yet the pastor felt, you know what, even though this had nothing to do with me, I could pay a heavy price for this. The board, when the situation came to pass, very quickly rounded around him, we've got your back. But within a couple of weeks, that began to change, and suddenly it was no longer we've got your back, but you know, if you had just managed your staff better, this might not have happened to you. And it began a very rough summer, as happens 
too often, hardball church politics, back-channel conversations, sinful exchanges, tough stuff that resulted in one morning him being called into a meeting with, with members of the board at 7.30 in the morning, and they said to him, you're through, no reason, you're done. Needless to say, there was some heated conversation for a couple moments, and the board chair threatened to call the police if he didn't leave the building right away, so he got up and left. But after he was gone, for whatever reason, they called the police anyway. It made the city newspaper. Tough stuff. The pastor and his wife were shattered. They were broken. They were humiliated. Now, what do you do? with that level of brokenness. Restoration, where's that come? Well, let me tell you this morning, as we think about his story, the steps to restoration, my friends, in your brokenness, in mine, are built on the foundation of forgiveness. Forgiveness, a tough word, a hard word, but let me tell you this, God, loves forgiveness. God loves forgiveness. As a matter of fact, Jesus made it very clear in the model prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer, given to us in Matthew chapter 6, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us in the same manner. Let's talk about that this morning for a bit. When we think about the forgiveness that God loves, We're talking first about the forgiveness that we seek from God and from other persons, other people. You know, in the Garden of Eden, there was that place of perfection, and God designed everyone and everything that was there to be in perfect harmony and union with him. But you know the story. Man disobeyed, and there began this huge gulf between God and mankind that couldn't be bridged by any human effort And subsequently, every human being that would be born after that would be born with a sinful nature, automatically separated from God, that no man could bridge or should gulf. And the consequences of that separation, the consequences of that gulf are death. But God loved his creation so much. He loved you and he loved me so much that he didn't want us to instantly perish. So he made possible all the way through Jesus to bridge that gap through the cross of Jesus Christ, where he went to the cross and paid for for our sins, the penalty for our sins, And that payment, that restoration, that being saved was available for the asking, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. And it comes. As we walk through our life, there are times, because we're not at perfection yet, where we continue to sin, and God says, ask forgiveness, seek my forgiveness. The Bible tells us if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Restoration begins with a right and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But then there's the forgiveness that we seek from one whom we've offended or one whom we've hurt. There's the tough thing. Our pride gets in the way. Our anger remains. Our bitterness is held on. I And and God may be saying to you, you know what, you did something to them that you're not even aware, go and ask forgiveness. Or it may be that he brings to mind that you did that offense on purpose, go and be reconciled about that. Wow. Give us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We're called to be initiators of reconciliation. 
to take the first step. And if that's not received, then we've done what we can. The Bible tells us that if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. May I say in love that if you refuse to seek peace, you will not be at peace with God. So the forgiveness that's sought from God and others, the forgiveness that's granted to yourself. You know, the, the evil one loves to do a number on us and, and just to, to convince us that there's no way we could be forgiven for an offense that we've created. You have to carry that. God didn't mean that when he said you're forgiven. Others didn't mean it either. And we wallow in that and our hearts are broken. Yet the scripture tells us that love keeps no record of wrongs. And of course, that's the first Corinthian passage, the love chapter, if you would, in the New Testament. And that deals with, with not holding an offense against someone else. But it also reminds us that God does not keep a record of those things that are, uh, that are forgiven. The slate is free. He's saying, what sin are you talking about? And yet we're carrying it. God said, let it now, it doesn't mean we can't learn from the situation or, or we, can't, we don't know that there might be consequences from it or things of the sort, but God says you don't have to carry that. Grant forgiveness to yourself. And then there's the forgiveness that we extend to ones who have hurt us, ones who have offended us. You know, we've all been there. Somebody really just lets us have it. And I thought, I can never forgive that. I'll never let go of that. I will never forget I want to make them pay. Yet to carry that kind of an attitude, even toward those who have offended us, is a serious deal. Jesus said, I want you to love, I want you to forgive even your enemies. We're called to forgive. And if we carry that, then, then what can develop within us is what the Bible calls the root of bitterness. And we burn on the inside, and we burn and we burn and we burn. And ultimately, the situation winds up harming us more than it even harms the offender. Or the offender may not even know they've forgiven you. Or they, they, may, they might not even know that you still hurt. It's not supposed to be this way. Jesus said, if you forgive men when they've sinned against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive them, ah, listen, your Father will not forgive your sins. Tough not easy, but necessary. Now, we're not saying that, that we give approval to the offense that happened, and we're not saying that, that we're trying to justify it or pretend that it didn't exist. We're not taking away levels of accountability toward the one who's created offense, and we're certainly not in any way giving an excuse for abuse. But God said, be reconciled with that person. Now, you may not want to spend your next vacation with them or go into business with them or trust them with your kids, but you can release the bitterness against them and allow God to take care of the offense, and you can become merciful. Refusing to do so is problematic. I love the statement that says, refusing to forgive is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. Some of you may be drinking the poison this morning. Forgive. Jesus gave us the ultimate model of forgiveness. He said, hung on the cross, praying for his executioners, praying for those who betrayed them. He said, Father, what's the word? Say it with me. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Forgiveness 
is the foundation for restoration. Let me go back to the pastor. So he's out of the church. He goes home. What now? What do I do with this? And God said, I'm going to restore you. Trust me with this. Don't fight. Just trust me. So a few weeks after his inglorious dismissal, if you would, he was he and his wife were sent to a retreat center that specialized in dealing with pastors who were wounded. And it was a great healing experience for them. And every morning they met with a counselor. And on the last day that they were there, the counselor said to the pastor, here's what I want you to do when you get home. I want you to, to, to look up every scripture in the Bible that uses the word forgive, forgiven, or forgiveness. And I want you to study those. I want you to apply them. I want you to pour over those, the, the living word of God. And he took that assignment very seriously. And as he did, healing began to come. Forgiveness began to come even toward those who never asked for it, and none of them, only a few of them did. God continued to bless him and his wife by moving them to another state and helping them to find some meaningful employment for a few years that he could take some time be, to heal between pastorates. And after they moved, they began attending one of the churches in, in the city, and there he met a pastor and, and, uh, and his wife who just kind of poured into them, lifted them up off the ground, and, and helped to restore them and keep their sense of ministry and in a sense of call intact and to pour healing into them in ways like they've never before experienced. After a few years, God restored them to the point to where he's led them to another pastorate. And it was a good thing. And the pastor who had helped him, he and his wife, eventually made a move themselves and they came to a, another congregation where they helped in, in the leadership of a, of a great church. And healing began all the way around. And the pastor was restored to the, the point to where when the older pastor retired, he said to, to those who were searching, I think I may know a guy. And here I am. The pastor was me. And the pastor who did the restoring was Pastor Don Bergstrom, who many of you know very well. Great man of God. And if God can take huge bitterness and brokenness in my heart. In a situation of betrayal like that, he can do the same for you. Now let me say, just as an aside, what happened to me in that congregation is not representative of every church. It's certainly not representative of this church. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for the way that you guys, <coughs> excuse me, take care of us. But I want to say, God has blessed us with an incredible shepherd, Pastor Mike Fackler. Back after a few months of sabbatical, rested, ready to go, and I'm so thankful for this man of God. And I want to say to you very clearly, I want you to love this guy. I want you to honor this guy. I want you to follow him as he follows God. He's God's anointed here, and we are blessed to have him. And we're so thankful that he's back. We're together. We can experience God's preferred future for this great congregation. Three powerful words. You are forgiven. Let me ask you this. What's holding you back this morning? Who's a person that you need to forgive? Who's a person who has, has offended you that you're carrying a grudge against that, that, uh, that you just can't let it go? What would happen in your family 
or if words of, please forgive me, I want to make this right, or in your business, or in, in partnerships, or even in a church, if we were to be able to say, you are forgiven. Powerful topic. But as we close this morning, I want you to do something just a bit differently this morning. I want you to, to get in your, in your mind's eye, if you would, the face of a person that the relationship with them is broken. And maybe it's an individual that you need to ask their forgiveness. Or maybe it's an individual that you need to grant forgiveness to them. Who is that person? Get them in, in your thoughts right now. And yes, you can begin to feel the pain that comes from that ruptured, broken relationship and the brokenness to you that's come. But today, I'd like you to take some steps to restoration. The worship team is here. And in just a moment, we're going to share together the bread and the cup, Holy Communion, which we do on a regular basis here at Highland. But this morning, we're going to do it a bit differently. Normally, we read Scripture and, and instruct us to take the bread, and then we read some more Scripture and pray and instruct us to take the juice. But today, I'd like you to take that in your hand. Everybody, you got yours right now? And I want you to hold it, and as you're thinking about that person, as you're allowing God to speak to you, Rich Daly's going to sing Matthew West's beautiful song called Forgiveness. And these next three to four minutes as he sings, I want you to allow God to speak to you. And I want you to, to think about a broken relationship and ask him to help you to heal through the power of forgiveness. God loves forgiveness. God loves forgiveness. And in your own time, as God speaks, peel off the top layer and on your own, receive the bread. As you continue to pray, as you continue to think and ponder, on your own, then peel off the bottom layer and receive the cup. Remembering the one who forgave, remembering the one who loves forgiveness today. Be released. Be free. Be restored. That's the way it should be. Father God, we thank you for the forgiveness that you've granted to us. Thank you for speaking to our hearts, for enabling us with the power of your spirit to forgive those around us or to ask forgiveness of those whom we've offended. You're so great, the God who loves forgiveness. Bless you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you and me, all of us, let's go and be compassionate, kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Jesus Christ forgave you. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and God's people together with one voice said,